You're listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit upperroomfrisco.com. Okay, so uh, I want to give you a quick recap. Uh, last time we talked about God using messy us, I opened up with Philippians 1.6. You guys know that reference? He who started this good work in you will be faithful to carry it to completion. So this is talking about the one who started the good work. Who is that? Shout it out. Yes, Jesus. So Jesus has started this good work in us, a.k.a. Holy Spirit, a.k.a. Father. They're all on the same team. Um, The Holy Spirit has started this good work in us, and he is going to be faithful to carry it to completion. And something that actually ends up really like slowing us down, bogging us down, and even causing burnout is when we try to do his job. So he started this good work in us, and he will be faithful to carry it to completion. So if we get saved, get rocked by the love and the joy of the Lord, we come flying into the, into the, into the kingdom, and, and, and then you know six months or years go by, and we start to think, you know what, I'm going to have to take over like this, this process of sanctification, and you begin to micromanage, and you begin to look inward, and you're, 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 you begin to actually step into what Paul warned about. Paul warned, he said, you, you started in the spirit who has deceived you into now trying to perfect yourself in the flesh. So I, I started just to talk about how we've created, I should say it like this, I feel like there has been an overemphasis on messages worldwide. Just across the board, just general churchdom. I feel like there's been an overemphasis on how God is using all these things of earth, all these horrible things, or just life in general to transform us, which is true. God does use horrible things. He redeems horrible things in our life. He works everything for our good. But there's been an overemphasis on how horrible things change us instead of how God uses us to change horrible things. See, God created the earth, and it needed to be stewarded. He, he, put, he made a garden that was like a, a perfect place to plant Adam and Eve, and then he said, make the rest of the world look like the garden. Go subdue all of the earth. So he made earth, and then he brought us in to transform it. He didn't make us and then bring earth in to transform us. It's important because if we start to think that everything swirling around us, God has orchestrated for somehow for our good, then we can become really passive in thinking that like horrible things God has created, but there must be some good in it for me. Instead of taking our authority as sons and daughters of God and saying no to the domain of darkness, interceding until things change, laying hands on the sick until they're better, declaring change in our lives. I just, um, I think that God is going to bring a whole lot of freedom in our lives. And, um, and if, we, if we're always looking at 
like everything around us and thinking that it's from the hand of God, then what it can actually do is just um, like shipwreck us. We like stop moving because we think that for some reason he's using all of this to make us better people. All right, I think I've like kicked that dead horse. All right, so uh, we talked about, we, we spent a lot of time in Luke 9. Uh, it's this awesome chapter where Jesus, uh, he, he sends out the 12 to go bring the kingdom. He feeds the 5,000. Peter confesses that he is the Messiah. Then there's the transfiguration. After all of this cool stuff, all of the, the disciples begin manifesting. They begin arguing, arguing about who would be the greatest in the kingdom. They're actually spiritualizing this argument and using rational reasoning to say, this is why I'm going to be greater than you, Bartholomew. This is why I'm going to be greater than you, Matthias. This is why I'm going to be greater than you. And they're, they're, they're using these. It's, it's a mess. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Jesus casts out a demon from a boy that the, the disciples weren't able to. Um, uh, Jesus didn't rebuke them when they began arguing about who would be the greatest. Instead, he grabbed a child and said, if you want to be the greatest, become like this child. And so Jesus wasn't rebuking their desire to be great, which is something that I want to like grab that. He actually created us to be great. Anybody in here like want to be like your daddy? Yes. Well, our daddy is great. So that desire in us is really, really good. And so Jesus said, if y'all want to be great, be like this child, which goes back to my first point of being childlike. Um, <laughs> next up on the uh, manifesting train of the disciples is John stops someone else from casting out demons. So... Um, John goes up to Jesus and says, we saw someone who's not one of us casting out demons, so we stopped him. <laughs> You're welcome, Jesus. We really need to be policing this thing. <laughs> so, so far in one day, they've manifested pride, arrogance, elitism, territorialism, and then uh, just to like round out the day, they wanted to call down fire from heaven and destroy Samaritans. Like they wanted to... They wanted to use the power of God to kill people that they had racial tension with. So this is Jesus's disciple team. This is, this is his leadership team, <laughs> which should give you a lot of confidence in what we have going on here. <laughs> it's been a long time since I wanted to call down fire on someone. Well, I mean, maybe like last week, 635. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> Throughout all of this, Jesus isn't like rebuking them. He isn't bringing down the hammer. He's actually letting them like all of this stuff is it's like coming to the surface. And I made this point that um, they were actually forgetting how to hide because they were around someone who is so accepting that that internal muscle of the soul was disengaged and all the stuff is coming out. Do you guys know what the word manifest means? We use it a lot in like charismatic Christian world. It's comes from the Greek manifestus. That doesn't help, but it's where we get the word manifesto or manifest list. And so a manifest list, you guys know if, if a, a ship uh, um, carrying a bunch of cargo in its hull comes to a harbor, 
a manifest list is presented that says everything that that ship was hiding. And there's power, right? There's, there's crews or there's machinery to deliver that ship of what it is carrying. So these guys have come into a safe harbor. Honk, honk. And there's power present for all the things that they were carrying to be taken off of them. It's not like they just suddenly became racist murderers. <laughs> Elitist, prideful, territorial ministers. Like that stuff was hidden in there for decades. And Jesus's love is working. And they're like, and the stuff is coming out of them. And Jesus is like, and when he finally explains what's going on, he doesn't rebuke them. He says, you guys don't know what spirit you're of. Because his struggle wasn't against flesh and blood either. And in this moment, Jesus is actually getting excited because the things that they were actually uh, afflicted with, this, the, the horrible traumatic things of their life, the, the deceptions that they were under, the anger that they carried, all that stuff was coming to the surface. It was bubbling up. Anybody ever been told it's not a good idea to manifest a demon at church? <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> the enemy is empowered by his ability to hide. So when we come into a safe church that has the power of the Holy Spirit, when we dock our boat in a safe harbor, that is most often the time when the things that were hidden finally come to the surface and you're surrounded by gentle, kind, loving people who help you remove that weight that you've been carrying. That's the power of connection in community is that, that kindness, that acceptance, that like, it's almost like, um, you guys know that you're familiar with the, the term blind spots. Like, it's like your closest friends in a church know some of your blind spots. And when you finally, like, get to the point where, like, that's, there's power present to be delivered of whatever that thing is, it's like all your friends already knew it was there. It wasn't a surprise to them. They were just waiting for that moment of, of awareness, that Holy Spirit conviction to break in. <sighs> so Jesus... Um, he said, you don't know what spirit you're of, for I didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So he identifies um, spirit or, or mindsets or, or things that they had been afflicted with, beliefs that they had before, strongholds of the mind. And Jesus says, I didn't come in that spirit. The way, that, the way that you're talking about doing things is not the way that I'm going to be doing things. But I started to wonder, like, yeah, why did, why did the disciples act like that? Like, I know that, I know that they're getting freed up by, by Jesus' love, but um, it was almost, I, I, I was struck by the coincidence of who was on that mountain, the day before at the transfiguration, you have Peter, James, and John on the mountain. Jesus gets transfigured before them. And who shows up? 
Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophet came to serve the Messiah. So Moses is on that mountain. There's a Moses, I want to talk about him for a minute. He was given this gift from God. It was a staff. And it was this miracle working stick. He threw it down. It turned into a snake. He picked it up. It turned back into a staff. He'd raise the staff. The, the waters would split. The Red Sea would split. It's the same staff he would raise up. And like they would win like war victories. It's a powerful gift that represents the prophetic, it, rep- it represents like this gift or this mantle, this authority of Moses, the prophet. Well, the Israelites came into a, a difficult circumstance in Numbers chapter 20. If you guys have a second, put up, put up Numbers 20 verses 8 through 12. I'm going to start reading. Y'all can catch up. This is Numbers 20 verses 8 through 12. Take the staff, his gift, the thing that like, it's like this fearful stick. <laughs> and it says, take the stat. This is God talking to Moses. They, um, I forgot to like, tell you why they got in this situation. They hadn't had water for like days. They, it's a million people on a nature hike without any Nalgene bottles. And they, um, they're like dying of thirst. And so they're, they're grumbling and complaining. And, and Moses goes to the Lord and says, what shall we do? And this is what God says to, to Moses. Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron and your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So they're at this rock. And God says, if you go with the staff in your hand and tell the rock to yield its water, there's going to be water that comes from this rock. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. Next verse. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. Next verse. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land I've given them. So God tells Moses to take your staff, take your man, that, that Thing that represents your authority, that miracle working gift of God. Take it before the people and then speak to the rock. And the rock will bring forth water. But Moses, as a representative of God, gathers the assembly and says, All right, all you complaining, rebellious people. Am I now going to have to make water come from this rock for you? How long are you going to be grumbling and complaining and smacks the rock twice with the gift that God gave him? So in this moment, he's portraying God as angry. When the father just wanted to give drink to his kids. 
How many times do we take our prophetic history with God and beat our own hearts commanding water to come forth? And the Lord always just wants to speak kindly to it. See, Moses was on that mountain with Peter, James, and John, and the next day, Peter, James, and John acted a lot like Moses. Who else was on that mountain? Elijah. In Kings, uh, 1 Kings 18, there were 400 prophets of Baal, these you know, false God-worshiping prophets. And Elijah says, we're going to have a showdown. You guys probably know this story. He said, like, make a big bonfire, dig a trench around it, fill it with water, soak the wood. You guys try to call down fire from your God, Baal? And I'll, and I'll pray to my God to call down fire. And so, um, you know, these false prophets of Baal are doing all their weird incantations, trying to get fire from heaven. Doesn't work. Elijah starts taunting them. It's awesome. He says, is your God on the toilet? <laughs> Isn't the Bible cool? <laughs> um, and then uh, <clears throat> he, uh, he prays to Yahweh, fire falls. Uh, then they, they, they kill all the prophets, like fire falls from heaven, and they, they kill 450 false prophets, prophets of Baal. So what did, um, what did John want to do to the Samaritans? Call down fire from heaven and destroy people. So Jesus says, I'm not coming like Moses. I'm not coming like Elijah. You haven't seen anything like the love that I'm about to pour out. I've come to save. I haven't come to destroy. See, God has, um, God has a ragtag bunch of heroes that he, he honors in scripture. Um, the first time that I, the five weeks ago when we started this message, I, I ended it talking about how God uses broken people to do great things. Well, this is, this is bizarre, but that very night, I, when, I, when I went to bed, I had a dream where I met Martin Luther King, who is an incredible hero of American history. And um, thank God for, for Martin Luther King, um, Martin Luther King Jr. So in the dream, I met him, and he's, I know that he's a great guy, but uh, he was rude to me. And I woke up from the dream thinking, eh. <laughs> you know, and then um, that morning, like right when I woke up, I was checking my phone, and I get an alert from um, this news app. And it's uh, an article about Martin Luther King. And so I read it, and it actually turns out the guy made some really huge errors in his life, like huge moral compromises. But the, the story from this, um, this article was actually really redemptive. And it said, instead of um, idolizing uh, our heroes to the point that they can't live up to we need to humanize them and still honor them for the great things that they accomplish with their life. King David. We sang some of his lines tonight. 
committed adultery, murdered the husband of the woman that he slept with, covered it up. He made another big error later on in his life. And uh, God says, this is a man who's after my own heart. That would be like me bringing a convicted murderer in here and saying, this is my bro. <laughs> let's, like, let's make it real. Like, what, I mean, someone with very questionable choices in their life and the pastor is associating with them and honoring them. This is, this is our God that we serve. Abraham. Guys, he's the father of our faith. And when he got afraid he actually uh, told Pharaoh that his wife is his sister so that he would be financially blessed. <laughs> Solomon. We would have to throw out the book of Proverbs because that man, end, like at the end of his life, it said that he was like sleeping with concubines that worshipped other gods, like... We don't know if he ever had a turning point, like a thief on the cross moment even. It just doesn't say. And yet, the book of Proverbs, Song of Solomon, it's in our Bible. Let's talk about the New Testament. Half of our New Testament is written by a guy named Saul who murdered people like us. That God redeemed I had a, a ministry school where I, I was mentioning this, this famous prophet. His name's Bob Jones. He's now uh, graduated to the next glorious stage. Um, he's in heaven. It's in the great cloud of witnesses. So in, in this ministry school, I'm giving a story about Bob Jones. Well, it's, it gets recorded, and, um, and one of the mothers of our, one of our young students, we had like a 19-year-old girl in the school, listened to my teaching, and then just emailed me uh, an angry email saying, like, I can't believe that you're referencing this guy. Don't you know, that, like, the mistakes that he made in his life? And, he's, and she's talking about, like, something in, like, the early 90s. I'm like, you're talking about mistakes 30 years ago? Like, if you knew the mistakes I made last week, you probably wouldn't even let your daughter in this school. Like, <laughs> I didn't say that to her, but she, this, this woman, <clears throat> this woman, like in her email, God bless her heart, she, she wrote, you should be sticking to like the true heroes of our faith and referencing, you know, the, the reformers and Luther. And, and I was like, oh, you went there. And I was like, have you heard the way that they conducted themselves throughout the course of their life? I said, we, I, said I, I wouldn't be able to teach your daughter anything from the book of Proverbs if you're holding Solomon up to the same standard that you're holding up this modern prophet. In any of this, does it sound like I'm condoning sin whatsoever? Because I'm not, not whatsoever. But what the Lord is doing in our hearts is actually delivering us of those things as we behold him. See, when we turn our focus inward, and we're trying to fix ourselves, if we go into these seasons of deep introspection and try to figure out the areas that still need to be worked on in our soul, and we're like, ooh, look at that mess, and ah, like, I can't believe that's still there, and, and we begin to like try to fix ourselves, where are our eyes? On us instead of the Lord. 
This should bring a lot of freedom that we just get to look at Jesus and worship him while he is the one that transforms us. Now, I do believe that God is doing a lot of transformation in our heart, but he's, he's the one doing it. And I want to go back to one of the points I was making earlier, that God isn't using tragedy, he is redeeming tragedy. He's so good at redeeming that we can become tempted to think that he authored horrible things to happen to us, to refine us or to rid us of our pride. But God is actually redeeming what's happening to us in a war zone. Like we, we are actually surrounded by, there are enemies of our soul. You guys know that we are in a battle. Like the kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing and the violent take it by force. Like as we are representatives of Christ, there is a target on us. And, and Jesus promises like in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. He didn't say in this world, I'm gonna give you trouble. That in this world, you're going to have trouble. It's just a result of living in the day and age in which we're living. And God is redeeming everything that happens to us. He's actually repaying the enemy sevenfold for the horrible things that he's done for us. Have you guys ever notice how when you go through a season of, of difficulty or, or a loss, um, you can almost bet that Several years later, it's almost like there's been so many redemptive moments of God in your life that you are almost grateful for the hard thing that you went through. So I want to pray, and um, this is just a simple prayer. We're just going to pray by faith that God would help us to take our eyes off ourselves and put them on him. You guys want to stand with me?